Since the beginning, members of the NC Advocates for Justice have been raising their voices, speaking out on behalf of those who go unheard, joining their voices to oppose injustice and support fair treatment for everyone under the law. With this podcast, Voices of NCAJ, we'll listen to those members, lawyers and legal professionals who founded the organization, whose dedication and energy kept it going and guided it through growth, change and challenges. Each conversation will inspire us to meet the future with a unified voice that channels the strengths and accomplishments of our organization. Welcome to Voices of NCAJ. Welcome to Voices of NCAJ. I'm your host, Amber Nimix, Communications and Marketing Manager for the North Carolina Advocates for Justice. My guest on the podcast is NCAJ President Valerie Johnson. Before we dive into our conversation, let me take a minute to remind you that our podcast is edited and engineered by our friends at Law Pods, a professional audio production company focused on helping lawyers make great sounding podcasts. They sweat all the details so you can concentrate on the content. If you're thinking about podcasting, check them out at lawpods.com. They've made this so easy for us. So this year, NCAJ is celebrating two milestones, the 60th anniversary of the organization and the first time a Black woman has served as its president. Valerie Johnson became president this summer and will serve through the end of June. Her firm, Johnson & Groninger PLLC, practices statewide in the areas of workers' compensation, personal injury, and bicycle crash law, and has offices in Durham and Charlotte. Valerie also teaches trial advocacy at the University of North Carolina School of Law and has taught workers' compensation law at the Wake Forest University School of Law. She's an editor of North Carolina Workers' Compensation Law, a practical guide to success at every stage of a claim, published by LexisNexis. She is also a member of the National Academy of Social Insurance and a fellow of the College of Workers' Compensation Lawyers. And she serves on the board of Lawyers Mutual. Valerie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Amber. So you have been president for a a little more than, than three months. How's your term been so far? Well, I guess you would say it's been eventful. (laughs) It certainly has been an odd time in our history, Mm -hmm. just not of NCAJ, but also of the nation coming out of the pandemic and trying to go live again has been a challenge for lots of organizations and certainly NCAJ has been one of them. Right. So watching the organization reorganize and recalibrate has been something that has been exciting for me and really exciting that we have had a new executive director named after a search. And that's been the biggest thing for NCAJ um, in recent history. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, we, we're all very excited to have Shannon as our new ED. Terrific. And you held a board retreat for the first time in a while, right? Yes, and it was live. I can't say uh-huh. enough about the um, members of the Board of Governors who um, are tasked with leading the organization. Um, our organization is member-led and directed, and so mm-hmm. they have a lot to do. We ask them to come to lots of meetings and participate. But outside of those meetings, we ask them to lead. We ask them to be the voice and face of our organization. And 
having that retreat in person this year was energizing for all of us, and especially yeah. off of a great convention that we had this year that really, I can't say enough about how wonderful it was to get back in person and see those people that I've been talking to over a computer screen for so long. Yeah, it was it was fabulous. Um, we really, we, we had a great time and we had a great time planning it. We're having a great time planning convention 2023 as because we're going back to Charlotte. Yes, that is wonderful. <laughs> I, I, I just want to take a moment to talk about the team at NCAJ doing that and pivoting from one manner of uh, connecting with our wonderful members and going in person for convention after not having an in-person convention for two years was a huge undertaking. Shout out also to Helen Bedour and to Sam McGee, who were our planners. Uh, but the, the team at NCAJ made it look yeah. effortless when we really know that behind the scenes, it was, it was a lot of work. Um, and coming into this new season with Shannon Leskin as our ED has really made the membership, I know because I've heard from a lot of them, excited about what we can do at NCAJ mm -hmm. and our mission. That is backed up by people like you, Amber, and the marketing staff, as well as the uh, CLE staff. And um, it's wonderful to see all of them. Yeah, I feel like we've got a really, a really special team in place. And this is a really great time, a great time for this organization. I've worked in a lot of different places. And, and sometimes you just you, you get a you get a group together and you you get a, a mission and you really understand it and and know how to work together to get it done. And I feel like that's what we have right now. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm very excited about uh, about this convention. And if it was if it is anything about uh, like 2022, it'd be great. And and one of the highlights of convention 2022 was the speech that you gave at our um, at our annual meeting. And you talked about your story and your parents' story and the challenges that they faced growing up in the Jim Crow South with very few resources. How did your parents' life stories inspire you? When I think about things that I have faced in my journey to um, be a lawyer, to become a lawyer, and um, to eventually be president of this organization, I have to say all of my struggles really pale in comparison to those suffered mm -hmm. by my, my parents. They really came from uh, people who were smart and dedicated and hardworking, but they had so many obstacles that they faced. It is, it's really tremendous that they were able to reach the heights that they reached. And right. I, um, I particularly look to my mother who, you know, your mother is, is your first uh, fan and mm -hmm. your uh, greatest uh, backdrop to keep you going. Mm -hmm. And my mother and her story were so tremendous. And I was, I was glad that I was able to share those accomplishments that she really brought to the table and brought to our family. She taught chemistry for 40 years because she was unable to be a doctor in the 50s when she finished 
alcoholic. So mm-hmm. she got her master's degree and became a master teacher, joining the faculty at the Institute of Government for the Principal's Executive Program, getting a presidential award at the time the president was Ronald Reagan and going to the White House. <laughs> she made it possible for me to see that there was another way to be. I grew up in Henderson. It's a very small town. Right. Um, and my parents made my education and um, my dreams really a reality. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. I want to say one other thing. While we were at convention, uh, my mother was unfortunately taken to the hospital after a fall. And the fact that she knew that I was doing what I was doing at that time and that she was so proud of me when she passed away just two weeks later was so uh, meaningful to me accepting this role. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that your, your mom got to know that, that, you were, that you had made this incredible achievement for yourself and for the legal profession too. So that's really, that's awesome. You followed in your mother's footsteps a little bit, um, like a, uh, as an elementary school teacher for um, first few years of your career, uh, and you really you really liked it, right? I did, I did. I um, always planned to be a lawyer. You know, I talked a little bit about that at convention and my first steps into the courthouse in Vance County and seeing uh, what I thought at fourteen years old was a miscarriage of justice. Mm-hmm. But when I when I um, thought about going ahead and becoming a lawyer, I also love mm-hmm. to teach and love children. And I know I'm biased, but I think when I've seen other teachers who have also become lawyers, it is an amazing background to have. Mm. First of all, to get up on your feet and face 25 or 30 second graders is just about as terrifying as it is to face 12 people in a jury box. Um, no and having to do no all day, every day, is, you know, it's a, it's a challenge getting up on, mm-hmm. and talking mm-hmm. on your feet all the time. So I love doing that. But I did plan to go back to law school and uh, was, I've been so blessed to meet wonderful women who have had a real, I've been blessed to meet real women who have faced real challenges in their own lives and done mm-hmm. great things in the law in my, um, mm-hmm. in my pursuit of my own dreams. And Elizabeth Gibson, who was a professor at UNC Law, encouraged me to go to the law school. And uh, she's always mm-hmm. been a great resource and champion for me. And um, it's, it's not lost on me that I went from a elementary school teacher to a adjunct professor and I teach, teach trial advocacy there at the law school. Mm-hmm. And that that really is a joy. And so you you knew, though, that you were eventually going to uh, become a lawyer. And did that have something to do with with your first time you were ever in a courtroom in in Vance County. Um, can can you tell us about yes. that? Vance County in the seventies wasn't exactly the metropolis it is today. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> but 
uh, Vance County um, had then a public library right across the street from the courthouse. And that library was really my home during the summer and really after school because the junior high school was very close to it. And if I walked home, I'd, I'd often stop in the library mm-hmm. on my way. But I was um, not a favorite of the librarian mm-hmm. who unfortunately called me a very ugly name. Wow. And that day I left the library and I didn't ever return. But wow. when I was figuring out where I was going to go that day after being called the N-word, I saw a lot of people walking into the courthouse and I decided to follow along. I didn't know as a minor if I would be stopped or uh, questioned, but no one said anything. And I sat down. I saw a an older black man who was on the witness stand. And I looked around and I noted that everyone who was beyond the bar was white. And everyone who was sitting and waiting on their cases or to support other people who were in the jail uniforms, they were all black. Mm -hmm. And I listened to that case. I listened to his testimony. He was on trial for stealing a can of Beanie Weenies, which for those of you who didn't grow up then, it's just pork and beans in a can. I remember going to the store and I believe they cost 33 cents because after that I, I checked and I could not believe that this man was facing penalty for that. He was hungry. And I, I thought, I've got a dollar yeah. in my pocket. <laughs> Can I just pay for him? Oh, wow. Later on, my father said, I know him. <laughs> and I think he sometimes wants to go to jail in order to get a free meal. I was so taken by that day. I can still see and hear the sounds echoing in that that mm. huge court wow. room. I can still see the people around me. It really was a pivotal moment. You know, you don't have that many in your life when you think, well, maybe I can do something to change the world. Maybe I can help in some little way. And thought about doing other things. Yeah. Thought about going to graduate school in education or or in English, but the law was always a pull. And I'm glad I ended up here. And I hope for some people, I can make mm-hmm. a difference in how they see the law and how they see mm-hmm. women mm-hmm. and minorities and how they can approach their own problems with the help of people who are really dedicated to helping them. Right. Absolutely. I'm, I know that you are. I know that you are making that difference. Absolutely. How did you find your way into the, the workers' compensation space um, after, after law school? Well, I finished law school and I um, had talked to people at UNC about firms. I knew that I wanted to help people and not go into other directions. So uh, I was pointed mm-hmm. toward Patterson Harkavy, and I convinced them that they needed to give me a job. They did. Uh-huh. And I started working with Hank Patterson, 
who is a wonderful workers' compensation lawyer. I also did um, civil rights law, which was a real pull for me with people like Melinda mm-hmm. Lawrence and, and Burden Craig, and was able to to manage both of those things. Um, for a while, I was doing trials, second chairing, but it was a it was mm-hmm. a lot as a woman um, with children and. Frankly, I did not know a lot of women who had children and were trial lawyers. And right. so I I practiced primarily workers' comp for several years. And then as my children got over, older, I, I went back and did started doing some, some uh, civil litigation. Uh-huh. And when did you found uh, the, your firm now, Johnson & Grinder? It's been 11 years ago now. In uh, wow. 2011, we uh, went out and founded our our firm. And you were all the, the there were three partners, and you were all women. Yes, 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 yes. So what I mean, we we've changed a lot over over the years. But was it difficult? Was there something particularly difficult or challenging about having three women, or was that a, a also a strength? I suppose when you're a woman in the law. You expect there to be challenges and you expect people to wonder why you chose to um, practice in a women-led firm or who your associates are. So I I don't think that um, we found anything Mm -hmm. uh, to be particularly surprising except for the Mm -hmm. wonderful people who have become our clients. It's not an issue, at least to mm-hmm. the at least to the general public. I think they look for uh, great recommendations, mm-hmm. and they look to see what other people have experienced. We have been very successful mm-hmm. at making sure that we treat our clients well, and that we try to help people who uh, maybe. Mm-hmm. just newer lawyers and have questions or, and that we participate very fully in the legal community. Mm-hmm. So obviously a big part of that is, is being an NCAJ. When did you join? Um, I guess it, it must've been the, was it still the Academy when you, when you came? Absolutely. I joined uh-huh. as soon as I became a lawyer. Oh, I really? can't, yes, I don't remember a time in between my joining Patterson Harkavy and becoming a member, I probably did it that first week. So wow. it's a gift that some people don't necessarily get to have a mm-hmm. a firm that is ingrained in the fabric of NCAJ, now NCAJ, but then the academy. Mm-hmm. Everyone was a member. Everyone went to CLEs. Um, I went to my first convention that year, so it's been 27 years. Oh, wow. I can't remember a convention that I missed. Uh, there may have been one when I... Actually, I was going to say there was one when I had my first child, my daughter, Alex. But actually, that was in December, and by uh, June, I remember pushing her stroller down at Sea Trails. 
at a convention. At convention. As a matter of fact, I was co-chair wow. that year. That's awesome. Of convention. <laughs> so. <laughs> so do you remember who the, I mean, it, it sounds like it was just part of, of your, of your world, but do you remember who the first Academy members you got to know were? You're like the people who you've known the longest. There were so many. And I remember early on that Janet Ward Black called me and asked me for help in oh, wow. something in particular. And this mm-hmm. is what she said. She said, Valerie, this is Janet Ward Black and I need your help. And I was honored <laughs> because right, Janet right. Ward Black was calling me. Now, did she need my help? Of course not. She was <laughs> graciously reaching out to a young NCAJ member and making me feel included and important. Mm. And I hope I can certainly pass that on to other young NCAJ members. But there was also Phil Bador and oh, so many people, um, Guy Crabtree, Mm-hmm. And I can't pass up the opportunity to thank James Ferguson and Geraldine Sumner, who made me feel included. And mm-hmm. um, they used to have uh, special parties at the convention. And it was just great knowing mm-hmm. people whose, really, whose names I just saw on reports from the Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court. Right, right. And so obviously they, you've, you've worked with tons of them over the years, and now you are the leader of the organization. Uh, and as you, as you said, it's a, it's a time of, you know, we've had some change and some transition, and we are continuing to adapt in the political climate that North Carolina has, has grown into. What do you think makes this organization, makes NCAJ, like, keep going? What's the essential, what's the essence of of NCAJ? You know, I look at the community aspect as something that is really unparalleled. We have members who are well-versed in every area of the law and being a lawyer and being uh, members of the legal community, but just being a support to each other in a way that I I rarely see in organizations. Mm -hmm. You can reach out to people and they will help you. And sometimes they'll reach out to you even if you don't know you, you need help. Now, the community aspect is important. Education is crucial. And finding those continuing legal education programs that are going to give you that special uh, nugget of information that makes a difference in your case and therefore in a client's life Mm -hmm. is something that you see happen all the time at CLEs. Mm -hmm. During the pandemic, there were lots of wellness CLEs um, out there. Everyone was talking about, got to engage in self-care. No one needs self-care like plaintiff's lawyers, I think. (laughs) 
We work a lot and um, being in the struggle with people who are similarly in the struggle mm -hmm. to try and get the best outcome for their clients, some of whom are in such great need. It's not just important, it's crucial. And last, I have to say something since you brought up um, what the, the political changing landscape is. We always are in a climate of political change and shouldn't be surprised by it, shouldn't be surprised by trends one way or the other. We know that as an organization committed to advocacy, we're going to um, be in the fight and our members appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. I hear from them. They listen and work hard. And our advocacy programs are so important to them and important to keep going, keep our practices growing and, um, and, and meeting every right. challenge that, yeah. that comes our way. Yeah. So as we sort of, you're halfway through your year, but we're, we're getting ready, coming up on a new year, 2023, and it'll be a new decade for NCAJ. What's your hope for for this group? What do you hope it, the next decade brings? I really want our outreach toward members who need us. You know, not, a, not only do people need us and know that they need us, some people right. need us and don't know that they need the community mm -hmm. and the resources that we offer. Uh, I hope to, con to continue to see some growth. Membership organizations have been in sort of a a new awakening with the advent of all sorts of factors, economic, political, and a change in changes in the legal profession that are mm -hmm. upon us. Like continuing legal education requirements have right. changed and they're mm -hmm. going to affect us. That's one area that we have to continue to grow in. So being nimble, and meeting those needs of our, our members is what I see happening. And we have the team in place to make sure that our members stay on point with all of the things that are going to come our way. Mm -hmm. We've had wonderful leadership in the past few years. John McCabe and mm -hmm. David Henson have really set us up in the, in the last couple of years to overcome those pandemic challenges and to remain healthy in many ways. Right. So I have nothing but good hopes and dreams that we'll be able to meet all of the problems mm -hmm. that are inevitable in any organization. Well, I'm very grateful that you are at the helm right now. So thank you for your leadership and thank you for your confidence in, in, the, um, in the staff. We really... That means more than anything to us. So, and um, I think that's a great place to great place to stop. Well, thank you, Amber, for having me and um, and for your dedication to NCAJ. It's uh, wonderful that you've taken on this project, and I commend you for it. I've listened to the other episodes, and oh, great! Gee, I've been really I've been really impressed. So, thank you very much. Thanks. All right. 
Thanks very much, Valerie, for joining us on Voices of NCAJ. And thank you to everyone who listened. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Voices of NCAJ. For more information on the North Carolina Advocates for Justice and how to join or support NCAJ, please visit our website at www.ncaj.com.